Hi, welcome to the Two Journeys podcast. This is episode 7 in Hebrews Bible Study Questions. Today we're talking about Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 19, and the title is The Warning Against the Deceitfulness of Sin. I'm Joel Harford, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, this is a very sobering and serious passage that comes you know, in the midst of this warning to this audience. Can you give me a brief overview of verses 12 through 19 and why it's so important for Christians to hear? Absolutely. Um, the epistle of, uh, to the Hebrews has been called a warning epistle, and it's got a lot of serious passages on warning. And this is one of the clearest on the dangers of sin the progressive hardening of the heart that sin does through its deceitfulness. And we're going to look at that. I also use it consistently as pastor of a local church as a part of my defense of why every Christian needs to be a covenant member of a healthy church. We need people around us to protect us from our own sinfulness. The seeds of our own spiritual destruction are within our, ourselves, with our indwelling sin nature. And we need protection from that. And the church which will come out in the in the text today, the church is is part of God's provision to keep us safe from ourselves. Well, for our audience, I'm going to read the text, Hebrews 3, 12 through 19. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So I want to start, Andy, with verse 12, where he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Is this a command? Is it a plea? Uh, what, is, what is this? Well, I've tended to read this as uh, something said to the church. Um, Take care, brothers, um, lest there be in any of you. So that gives a kind of a church outlook. I can't just be thinking about myself, but I have to be thinking about my brothers and sisters. Is there in any of us this evil, unbelieving heart or, or heart of unbelief that would be tending toward leading them to fall away from the living God? So there's an exhortation here that we actually are to care for each other spiritually. As we've mentioned before, you remember that cold-hearted thing that Cain said about Abel, am I my brother's keeper? We at First Baptist Church, we have in our church covenant a statement, we will watch over one another in brotherly love. This is a great passage on doing that. We're going to watch over one another. Watch over in what regard? We're going to watch over lest they drift away from Christ or turn away little by little or turn away even decisively. And so for me, I think this is an exhortation toward vigilance. Now, I think it starts with the individual. We are to watch over our own hearts. We are to make certain that nothing's going on with us individually, personally. But we're also supposed to be looking out for the brothers and sisters as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the book of Hebrews is really strong on this corporate watch over one another language. I'm reminded of where it says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no one is unholy or immoral like Esau. And so is the see to it, this you know, looking at one another and helping each other in the Christian life. Mm. Amen. 
Now, how do Scripture's warnings really protect us from sin? Because as we talked before, the warnings are the means that keep the faithful. So how does this warning that take care lest there be an evil, unbelieving heart, how does that motivate the believers to continue to persevere in the faith? Yeah, I think we have to understand the role of these warnings. And we, we just come back to this again and again with the book of Hebrews because there are some very severe warnings in Hebrews. And so the idea here is that God is absolutely sovereign over human salvation. And he works in human beings and he works in the elect, the repentance and faith needed for their own salvation. But part of that is he is he who began that good work in us is going to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And that uh, progressive sanctification really has to do with the ongoing struggles we have with our own hearts, that our hearts are prone to wander, as the hymn writer said it. We really do feel it. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to lead, leave the God I love. And the reason we do that, as the text says here, is through a hardening process, through sin's deceitfulness. Mm -hmm. And so the warnings are given to wake us up, to shake us up, to urge us toward, uh, toward strong actions and powerful repentance and renewed vigor in our Christian life. So we need these warnings. The warnings are for the elect. They, the warnings are for those who will heed them. And that is the people who God is working a seriousness and a faith in hearing the word of God. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is very, very important, the idea of these warnings. Yeah. Now, what about this word, evil, unbelieving heart? What is an evil, unbelieving heart? Okay, so this is the, the issue here. And you, you take verse 12 and 13 together. What's going on is that sin has a deceitful effect on us and has a hardening effect on us, producing in us an evil heart, an increasingly evil heart of unbelief. And we're going to see at the end of this passage uh, in verse 19, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The author of Hebrews is going to give us the greatest chapter in the entire Bible on faith. So this is all about faith. And so the idea of an evil heart of unbelief is a heart that no longer believes the promises of God, that's turning away from the promises of God and unbelief and finding relief and joy and satisfaction and, and uh, the blessings of life in another place through carnal um, desires and through other religions and other things. So that's a serious, serious matter. So the idea here is an evil, unbelieving heart leads to uh, an individual turning away or falling away from the living God. And so this, I think, is a progressive hardening effect on the human heart by the deceitfulness of sin. How do you warn somebody of an evil, unbelieving heart. Obviously, if I were to use that direct language, it might not go over so well. But when yeah. you see someone falling away, maybe sure. they don't, they used to come to church, used to be regulars. Now they don't come to church and Bible study anymore. They seem to have no problem. No, I, I still love God. I'm, I'm yeah. still, but, the, but their, their affections have really waned for him. And, and they wouldn't see themselves as having an evil, unbelieving heart. But by scripture, you know that it's tending toward that direction. Yeah. How do you how do you warn them like that? Yeah, well, I love the way you put it, and it's very dynamic. You know, it, it, it's, it's a continual process of life patterns and habits. It even talks in Hebrews 10 about people who have the habit of no longer assembling together with other Christians. And so it's about habits. It's about your lifestyle. 
And so what ends up happening is sin is constantly assaulting our hearts all the time. The world of flesh and the devil, those are the constant enemies of this, this life of faith. And so under the constant pull, the corrosive effect of the world's allurements and Satan's clever temptations, we little by little are deceived by sin. And so it talks about sin's deception here or the deceitfulness of sin. So that's a very powerful phrase here in verse 13. The idea of sin deceiving us, it lies to us. Satan is a liar. He was a liar from the beginning and an assassin of souls, Jesus said in John 8. You're of your father the devil who was a liar and a murderer. And the two go together. He murders by lying. He kills souls by lying. And so through the temptation, he lies to us that we'll get pleasure, satisfaction, fulfillment in sin. But sin is lying to us. This is one of the passages that uh, personifies sin. You know, like Paul does in Romans 7, he says, sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment deceived me and put me to death. So that personifies sin. You know, uh, it's like sin is, is a, a roaring lion or roving lion seeking someone to devour, just like Satan itself. And so the idea here is that sin deceives us. And it has a progressive hardening effect on the heart. So the heart becomes increasingly hardened. And so that's a devastating effect on us. Hmm. So we talked about the devastation. What about the remedy? He says, but, yep. in verse 13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You've already mentioned the deceitfulness sure. of sin. Yeah. So what is the place of exhortation in the mm -hmm. Christian life? And then notice it says every day. Are we supposed to meet every day? Am I supposed to be a legalist about that? How does that inform my ministry to other brothers and sisters in my church? Yeah, these are great, great questions. And this is exactly right in the center of my defense or persuasion for people to be covenant members of a healthy local church. The beauty, the wisdom of God in the whole church concept is that there is this universal church, the body of Christ, the mystical communion, that all genuine believers in Christ or followers of Christ have. Actually, even those that are in heaven are part of the body of Christ and those on earth, heaven and earth together, part of one universal body. And that happens the moment that you're born again. And that will never change. But there's also local church. And that has to do with people here on earth in certain localities in a particular city or a particular town or community that assembles together regularly. And we call it covenant membership as we make a promise to be certain things for each other. We're going to be a church for each other. And what that means is we're going, to, we're going to know and be known by those people. They're going to know us, what our habits are, our patterns, and they're going to be known by us. We'll know the same thing about them. And we're going to be able to watch over one another in brotherly love. So the idea here, as we've said, there's a danger. The ongoing effect of sin is to harden our hearts. The deceitfulness of sin hardens the heart and turns it into a wicked heart of unbelief that turns away from the living God, apostatizes. So that's a gradual hardening process. What does hardening mean? I think what it means is that the heart is less and less responsive to the Holy Spirit, less and less responsive to the Word of God. We're not yielded. We're stiff-necked. Stiff-necked and hard-hearted are the same thing for me. It's an unyieldedness to the Word of God in the direction of God. So sin has a gradual deceitful effect on us. And so the remedy that you mentioned here is brothers and sisters who know us and we know them. And they have gained a place in our lives to speak into our lives. They're not total strangers. 
They're not like the book of Proverbs says, a passerby gets involved in a quarrel not his own. It's like someone who seizes a dog by the ears. Uh, don't do that, all right? But that's not what's going on here. We've covenanted to do this for each other. We're going to watch over one another in brotherly love. We promise to do this for each other. So there you could say, all right, let's see, you mentioned some Bible study attendance, let's say. Let's say somebody was all in for, for the men's Bible study on Saturday morning or the home fellowship on Sunday evening, something like that. And they never missed. And they, they had their Bibles, they were eager, they were into it. Yeah, but that was a year ago. Now they miss two-thirds of the time or even more frequently. And when you talk to them, or even when they're there, they're not there. It seems like they, they've changed. And you've got a baseline behavior pattern that you saw, you knew what they used to be like, and now they're different. And so you mentioned the remedy here, and that is exhort, exhort one another. The Greek word is related to the word for the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the paraclete. You know, uh, it's a strong word. It, it has to do with, I don't know, exhort, rebuke, correct, give advice to, all kinds of stuff from that one Greek word. So just get involved in each other's lives. Get in each other's grill. Now, there's ways to do it. You do it with gentleness. You do it with humility. But we need to do it. Mm -hmm. And again, this, this every day, I think this must speak to okay. really just being in, doing this on a regular basis, yeah. like the regular Daily. meeting. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the idea. I don't think we, we, we meet together every day. We don't. I mean, we uh, have meetings throughout the week and we have different things we do. But no, we're not a legalistic community that says if you don't come to everything, every time the doors are open, that you're in sin. We definitely require able-bodied people to be at corporate worship, the one main gathering that we have on Sunday morning. That's going to be a benchmark of piety and local church involvement. So the elders are going to be very interested in shepherd people who stop attending Sunday morning worship. We don't feel the same about our home fellowship Sunday evenings, but you know it's, it's an important mark and we want to see if people are involved or if they've made changes. Used to be involved, now they're not. That's, that's a big deal. Um, and then other things. So I think the idea of exhorting one another daily or encouraging one another daily, I mean, you can get on the phone. I mean, we're more in contact with each other and our friends than ever before by means of social media and other things like that. So I think we can do it actually hourly if we wanted to do it. We could be texting each other continually. But I don't think that's what the author had in mind. It's just a don't let it go too long. Like it says in another place, don't let the sun go down on your anger. You have some worries about somebody, give them a call. Go over and visit them. Text them. Be involved in each other's lives. I think that's what he's saying. Yeah. Now we come up again with the concept of today, as long as it's called today. We talked about that last week. Can you remind our listeners sure. just the, um, the importance of this word today in the, in the text we've been reading? Yeah, the word today just has to do with a theology of today capitalized here in Hebrews 3 and 4 that there's something called today. And, he, and there's a sense of, of as long as it has this special name today. And what that means is this is, this is the, the, the moment of opportunity. This is what we can do something about. It just has to do with the fact that we are time-bound creatures. We can't go back in time to redress something we did yesterday, we messed up yesterday, can't do anything about it. It's part of the historical heavenly record. Nothing will change it. And we can't go ahead in time to tomorrow or a year from now and, and jump up ahead and, and say, I wanna, I've got a, an important test coming up, spiritual test or even a test you know, in, in your university classes or something like that. You can't do it, all right? You, all you can ever do is today. As Jesus said, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble uh, of its own. Sufficient unto the day is the evil there in KJV has it. So all we've got is right now. And as long as we're in that era, this present era of today and today and today, as long as we're in that, 
be exhorting one another toward love and good deeds. That's mm-hmm. what he's saying. That's good stuff. So verse 14, he says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And then he goes into the psalm, which we talked about last week. But this if indeed, this almost conditional, yeah. um, this conditional phrase, yeah. what does this teach us about, again, the need to hold fast and persevere to the end, though we do believe in the perseverance of the saints? Yeah, I mean, let me take the end of your question first. We believe in the perseverance of the saints. What we mean by that is if somebody has been truly justified by faith in Christ, they cannot lose that justification. They cannot become non-Christians. They can't be unborn again. I mean, they have eternal life. Eternal life's eternal. And so we believe in that. So we do believe in that. But here we've got this troubling, actually it's even troubling grammatically. It speaks of a past tense action, decisive action in the past. We have come to share in Christ, I think it says. Um, and then it puts a conditional mm-hmm. on a past completed action. Yeah, how do you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, my feeling here is like, it, it's, it's actually to some degree historically it'd be absurd. Like Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States if, well, what would you put on the other half of that that makes any sense at all? There's like nothing if he was the 16th president. I mean, there's nothing else you can put there. Either it happened or it didn't. But in this case, it's more experiential. It has to do with assurance, assurance of salvation. Have I come to share in Christ? Did that actually happen? Was there anything real there? All, if all I have is today, we're talking about something in the past. So how can I know that I actually did genuinely trust in Christ 11 years ago? How can I know? And this verse answers that question. We actually did, in fact, come to share in Christ at that point, way back when, as proven by the fact that we continue to the end the same confidence or the same confession of faith we we had. So that's what he's saying. The ones that begin definitely finish. So if you want a solid assurance, keep running with Christ. Keep following Christ. That's what he's saying. Hence the importance of today. Today. Because this is the day you have yeah. to hold your confidence to the end. Yeah. If you want to know whether I was, was my faith in Christ 11 years ago or 26 years ago genuine, the answer to this verse is, you want to know for sure? Follow him today. Trust in him today. Believe in him today. Keep holding on to that confidence. That's what, that's what he's saying here. So we actually did, in fact, come to faith in Christ and get a share in heaven back then if we complete this journey right to the end. That's what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Now, he mentions the, the psalm that we talked about last week. Today, if you hear his, his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And then he gives, frankly, a terrifying example from, from church history that we talked about yeah. uh, two weeks ago or last week. He says, who are those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those who left mm-hmm. Egypt led by Moses? Mm-hmm. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Right? He's talking about the nation of Israel between Sinai and the promised land. Yeah. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Yeah, what the, what the author's doing here, and, and he's going to consummate this argument in the next chapter, he's making the actual pilgrimage or journey, the exodus from Egypt into the promised land, a bit of an allegory or a spiritual, uh, spiritual analogy, maybe would be a better word, uh, for the progress of an individual soul from, from Satan's kingdom, uh, slavery to sin, to 
uh, ultimate eternal life with Christ in heaven, our eternal Sabbath rest, he'll talk about in the next chapter. And he zeroes in on Psalm 95 that David wrote, you know, 500 years after the Exodus, a thousand years before this author wrote this. Um, Psalm 95, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. So let's see where we're at in the flow of the argument. Remember, we said, like, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, as the Jews did back then. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We actually did, in fact, come to share in Christ in the past if we keep holding on to our confidence right to the end. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, as they did in the rebellion. So what the author is doing is, like, remember we already talked about that, if you want to be certain you're a Christian, then today don't harden your heart. As the Holy Spirit speaks to you through the Word, through the Gospel, through the extended teachings of the apostles in the New Testament, as the Holy Spirit speaks to you through the Psalms in the Old Testament, as the Holy Spirit speaks to you in the Word of God, don't harden your heart. Don't develop a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So that's how he uses Psalm 95. The repetition emphasizes that. And then, as you said, he looks at the actual history of what happened with the Jews. What happened with those people? What's the backdrop of Psalm 95? And we know that story, and it's a tragic story. None of the Jews, the adult Jews, who came out of Egypt, none of them actually ended up crossing the Jordan and entering the Promised Land except Joshua and Caleb. Mm -hmm. Those people were, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered all over the desert. Now keep in mind who the author to Hebrews is writing to. He, he is writing to Jewish people who had made a profession of faith in Christ, but who are being sorely tempted to give up that profession and turn back to Old Covenant Judaism. And what he's saying is, look at your Jewish ancestors. What happened to them? They never made it in the Promised Land. And why? Because they did not believe the promises of God. They had an evil, unbelieving heart that turned away from the living God. That's what he's doing here. And that's powerful. So he's basically saying they turn back right before entering, and you're in danger of turning back right before entering. Oh, yeah. And he's going to do exactly that at the end of Hebrews chapter 10. You know, when he talks about, about those, um, those folks, he says, uh, quoting Habakkuk there, he says, in a little while, the coming one, Jesus, will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. So that's what the author is going to say. Well, you get the same kind of thing here. The generation of Jews who didn't cross the Jordan and enter the Promised Land, the one who believed all the slander that came from the ten spies, they were an evil, unbelieving generation, according to the author of Hebrews. And David would say the same thing. Uh, God swore on oath in his anger. They would never enter his rest. And, and the problem was that they didn't believe what they heard. They didn't believe the promises of God. Hmm. So, Andy, I wanted to ask this. You said they didn't enter because they didn't believe. How do we stoke the fire of belief in our hearts? Yeah, I mean, we are justified by faith. 
my righteous one will live by faith. That's Habakkuk 2, 4. And that's what the author will quote at the end of, Hab- uh, at the end of Hebrews 10. And so what it means is we hear about Jesus. We hear the message that Christ is the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, did all these incredible signs and wonders, these miracles, stilled the storm, fed the 5,000, walked on water, raised Lazarus from the dead, healed every kind of disease and sickness among the people, drove out demons, could do anything. But especially that he died in our place on the cross. And we recognize that transfer of guilt to Jesus and the transfer of his righteousness to us. And we trust in all of that by faith. We haven't seen any of that. We've never seen Jesus. As First Peter said, you have not seen him, but you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. So there's that faith, the eyesight of the soul. We're going to talk more about that later. But the eyesight of the soul, and you're able to see through the eyes of your heart being enlightened, see the crucified Christ crucified for you, the resurrected Christ raised for your justification, raised for your hope. And you fix your mind on that entirely. Life means nothing apart from that. It's meaningless apart from that. It's dust in the wind apart from that. So you feed your faith by the same way that it came into your heart to begin with. Faith comes by hearing the word. And so your faith is a dynamic living thing. And if you don't want an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, feed on the word. Go to church and hear good Bible-centered sermons. And if your pastor doesn't preach them, then go to some place that will. Let your mind be fed on the word of God. Preaching is powerful. And then feed yourself every day. Every single day, be in the Word so that you don't develop an evil, unbelieving heart. Instead, you've got a vivid, clear sight of Christ, crucified and resurrected, your Savior, your Lord. Amen. I have uh, one final question, and then you can also give me your your final comments on the passage. As a pastor with a regular preaching ministry, how has this text informed how you preach, how you shepherd, and how you pray for your people? Great question. You know, I'm going to say again, this is the number one text I go to to answer the question, why should I be a covenant member of a local church? My guess is I'm speaking to a lot of people here that might be asking that question. You know, why is membership in a church important? Uh, People might think, especially if they partake in ministries like this, and we're not the only one, there are a lot of good teaching ministries online. Well, why should I go to church? Well, this is part of the answer. You need to be protected from your own destruction, your own indwelling sin. Romans 7, Paul says that the very thing I hate, I do, and the thing that I want to do, I do not do, and the reason why there, there is sin living in me. So I need protection from that. I will destroy myself if I don't get help. And God is a God of means, and he, the means uh, that he has given us is the ministry of the Word of God as mediated or ministered to us by spiritual gifts in a local church. Not just the pastor, but godly brothers and sisters who speak the Word of God. They let the Word of Christ dwell in them richly, and they teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. So as a pastor, I'm just going to be hitting that key on the, on the piano over and over. You need to be a covenant member of a church. You need to commit yourself. Covenant is like a marriage. You can say, I do, to that local church. It's lesser than a marriage because that's for life. And people can, in a very godly way, change that covenant by going to another church. Actually, in our covenant, that's even part of the covenant. If you leave, you have to be in another local church. If you go to Phoenix, we can't shepherd you. All right, so the way I look at it is this text teaches me to never let up on this. You need help. You are surrounded by assaults on your soul every day. And our, our hearts will become hard by the deceitfulness of sin. It's too strong for us. And so we need help. 
And so what I would say is be a covenant member of a good local church. And then to those that are covenant members of our church, we shepherd those people. We ask, how are they doing? As a matter of fact, this very night, we're going to have an elders meeting and we're going to shepherd the flock. We're going to ask, how is so-and-so doing? How is so-and-so doing? And we're going to see if there's intervention needed. Do we need to, to come alongside them and encourage them or exhort them in some way? So that's how it is. And then when it comes to preaching, I preach for that. I preach that people would keep developing their faith, that they can see vividly Christ crucified and resurrected. They can see vividly their own sinfulness still. They can see vividly the invisible spiritual force of evil in the heavenly realms that are arrayed against them. And that they can realize they're in a war and they need help. And so they feed on the word. If I, if I can just be an expository preacher and just get out of the way of the text I'm preaching on, just feed it to the people. My desire is that they would have a strengthened faith and not develop this evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Hmm. Well, thank you, Andy. That's really helpful. That was episode seven in the book of Hebrews. Please join us next time and we'll talk about entering God's rest, which is from Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 11. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast and God bless you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build his kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.